Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. Arms now Good morning. Good morning. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you missed the first hour, I encourage you to go and grab it via podcast. You can do that at myfaithradio.com. Or if you have downloaded the Faith Radio app, then it will be available there a little bit later this morning. And in that podcast um, post, you also get all the links to all of the articles um, and websites that we talk about with our guests um, and that I share in commentary like this, which is like, you know, the start of the show and everybody wonders, where's Carmen getting all that information? Yeah, I put it all in the show notes and then Ryan dutifully puts it in the podcast notes, which are posted for you both at MyFaithRadio.com and on the Faith Radio app. So love for you to download that today and start, um, you know, making use of those resources as well. So the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi um, has already held talks in Singapore. Uh, This is the beginning of her Asian tour. Obviously, questions related to whether or not or when she might possibly stop in Taiwan. That's pretty much what consumes the news related to um, the speaker's trip abroad. Uh, But just so that you know, she is actually making stops uh, throughout uh, throughout Asia and and has already spent time in Singapore with representatives there. And so it, it's not as if this was a this is a trip without substance. She's got a lot going on and that may or may not include a stop in Taiwan. I think that most um, most people, although concerned about China's uh, saber rattling related to it, I think most people also think that, you know, it, it, it's an act. It's a it's a show of weakness. If she doesn't uh, stop in Taiwan at some point during her trip, although it's not included on her itinerary. But if you look at the map, she flies over it um, and so very likely will stop then. Um, In other international news, the very first ship carrying Ukrainian grain has now left the port of Odessa. Here's the lead from the Associated Press. The first ship carrying Ukrainian grain set off from the port of Odessa on Monday under a deal brokered by the United Nations and Turkey that is expected to release large stores of Ukrainian crops to foreign markets and ease a growing food crisis around the world. This uh, ship left under, uh, it's a Sierra Leone-flagged cargo ship. It left Odessa carrying some 26,000 tons of corn destined for Lebanon, one of the places where you know people are hungry and in need of this grain. While we're on the subject of grain and feeding a hungry world, Canada's farmers are now joining farmers farmers in the Netherlands, raising alarms about government rules designed to limit nitrogen emissions from fertilizer. So they're going to restrict farmers' use of fertilizer. And farmers are saying, um, hey, if you um, if you restrict our ability to use fertilizer, just know that we um, we are going to have reduced crops <laughs> like That's how that works. Um, And so uh, 
they are concerned that there is going to not only be a shrinking grain output significantly uh, at this time when the world is scrambling for more supplies, but obviously it puts farmers at reduced income, which is not something right now that we need to do. We need to let's not be crippling uh, the people that are actually out there raising uh, raising the crops to feed uh, the hungry people of the world. Um, all right, and then um, you've probably heard that. Uh, Senators Schumer and Manchin have reached an agreement on something called an Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, if you read reporting widely on this, you're going to see that it it actually is likely to increase inflation, not reduce inflation. Um, you can read it from Penn Wharton, um, the Wharton School of Business at Penn, if you want to read in you know, what I would call an unbiased media source in relationship to that. All right, Dr. Linda Mental is going to join us next. We're going to talk about changing your mindset. So, what is your mind set on today? And how is your mind set? Is it set on the things that are above or upon the things of the earth? Is your mind set on Christ? And how do you change your mindset? All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Dr. Linda Mental. You know her from the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can find her at drlindamental.com. Linda, good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you. This it's wonderful Monday to have morning. you. I know. It's it's um in case you didn't know, dogist first. So it's a it's a dog loving day. <laughs> oh, good. I know. I, miss I know. So. I don't, my dog is no longer with me. I, I really miss my dog. I've been thinking about that lately, but that's another right? topic. Well, it is, but gr- grief and the grief of our pets is real, right? They're 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 members of our families as well, and in important ways. Talk with us about um, changing our mindset, particularly when we're led to imagine that we're not competent, or um, we start doubting ourselves. Well, let's give a definition first of what mindset is. So it's really the way that you approach life how you begin to see things based on your beliefs. So obviously we're, we're, we're Christians, we're talking from a faith perspective, and so many of the beliefs that we hold as Christians really do influence our day-to-day approach on how we see things. So how do we respond to the things that happen to us during the day? When we get criticized or when we fail at something, how do we think about that? And then how do we approach that situation to either get stuck and feel like we're not good enough? Or do we approach it in a different way that maybe we think, oh, we can learn from this situation? So there was a wonderful book that came out a few years ago by an author named Carol Dweck. I think she was at Stanford. And she wrote about this whole idea of mindset. And she talked about how people with a, what she called a fixed mindset, are people that believe that well, they were born with certain intelligence and they only have certain abilities and talents. They either have them or they don't. And so if you approach life with, well, I'm not smart enough or I don't have enough skill or talent, I really can't be that successful. And she contrasts that, Carmen, with this idea of a growth mindset where you approach life with the idea that you can change, that you can grow, that you may have certain inborn abilities 
but they alone don't determine your success. You, anything that happens in your life can be viewed in a way to say, huh, maybe I can learn from this, or maybe there's something in this experience that would help me grow. And she goes on to talk about how the person with a growth mindset can really persevere during setbacks. They just don't give up. They know that they can get better and they can improve. So as I was thinking about this from a faith perspective, I'm thinking, well, so much of the Christian life is based on our ability to grow and change. I mean, that's the point of having the spirit of the living God inside of us, that he can transform us. He can at times do things through us that have nothing to do with our abilities. And I was thinking this morning before I came on, I was I was reading some things in Psalms, but I was thinking about Moses because I knew we were going to talk about this. And I thought Moses didn't sound like the most talented, the most successful guy on his own. But when God got a hold of him and when God used him in a specific way, it was incredible that things that he accomplished for the Lord. Yeah, this reframing is um, is a good, I think, topic for this as well. And you mentioned this in the article. And again, if you guys want the link to the direct link to the article that is posted at BeliefNet, also posted at drlindamental.com, you can get it from the show notes today, which are posted along with the podcast for this episode at MyFaithRadio.com. Talk with us about the reframing. What does that mean? And how do I reframe negative thoughts um, you know, if I if I want to, you know, if I want to be a person who, as you describe, and Dr. Uh, Carol Dweck describes, is a person with a growth mindset. So, if you think about something very simple, I, I mentioned like criticism. You go into uh, your job, and your boss calls you into the the office and says, "Yeah, wasn't real impressed with the way you dealt with this project. I think there were some problems here, things that really uh, need to change the next time." And if you begin to if you begin to think, oh no, um, I'm not any good at this, I can't see. These are my automatic thoughts, is what I'm talking about inside my head. I'm doing some self talk where I'm going, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough in this job. Maybe I can't do this job. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Those self thoughts that come into your mind can be shifted and changed, and that's what we do all the time when we try to have a more positive attitude towards things. So all a reframe is, is it's taking a thought and it's saying, how else can I think about this? And so I begin to then say in a reframe, well, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes in this project. Now he's giving me good feedback. What could I do to change this the next time? So I'm really replacing those negative thoughts with a more growth type of mindset where I'm saying, all right, here's a problem, here's an issue. But if I listen carefully and I think about what I did and I look for opportunities to make this better, I can become a better employee or I can do better at the next project that is handed me. So all it's doing is taking your thoughts captive, really. And we want to put it in a scriptural term. We're taking our thoughts captive. We're grabbing our thoughts. We're looking at our thoughts and we're saying, how do those line up with scripture? And one of the things we know from scripture is a very basic scripture, like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So if I'm put in a position and I have to do something and I need some extra help, certainly the power of prayer, uh, my ability to be open to what other people are saying, maybe to get counsel from other people, all of this, when I stop and think about it, 
is part of my growth as a person and certainly as a person of faith. And I can take those thoughts captive. I can change those thoughts and make them much more positive, optimistic, and in line with the idea that I can grow and change because that's what Christ does inside of me. So helpful. And it's so helpful not only for um, you know, for us personally, but this is really helpful in terms of conversations that we might have with people who are stuck in a very fixed and negative mindset as well. Uh, we're going to return to our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental in just a moment. We're going to focus on back to college, all of our students who are headed to college um, and how we might equip them in advance to um, to fight depression, like to ward it off, to anticipate um, challenges that uh, that might be foreseeable and how to be equipped to deal with all of that. So back to college with Dr. Linda Mental in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Car- Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Give me faith alive, We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com and you can listen to her here on the Faith Radio Network on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Um, Linda, talk with us about students returning to college, some of them going off to college for the first time, um, and the, the challenge that many students face when they arrive and how to fight, you know, what really for a lot of students becomes a depressive and depressing place. Well, let's start with the the whole idea of where is a young adult when they go to college. So young adults are in this process of what we call launching. They're leaving their homes. They're leaving their families. And for the first time, they're launching out into their own um, world. And they're having to figure out for the first time how to make decisions on their own, how to, you know, structure their life. Uh, approach this whole business of college where you have to manage your time, you have to find friends, just so many uh, life issues that are involved in going to college. And what we're finding in a lot of students, unfortunately, is a rising numbers of anxiety and depression in those students. And part of this is, I think part of this is, is, is another conversation, but some of it is related to all the identity confusion that is in our culture today, because between the ages of 18 and 22, which is the typical off to undergraduate school for for young adults, this identity formation is really critical and it's part of what's forming. Honestly, Carmen, it's one of the reasons I'm so I'm so pro Christian uh, colleges and Christian universities. I've taught at both um, secular and Christian universities, and I can see a difference in the way that those young minds are formed by the professors and by the ideology that is so prominent today in our secular universities. It's quite frightening, to be honest. 
So I'm a big proponent of looking at Christian universities and colleges, even when you have very bright students. My my daughter could have gone to any school, but we uh, sent her to a Christian college. Now, let me say one of the reasons why that's important. My son also went to a Christian college. And I remember as a parent, they had orientation for the parents as well as the students. And I'll never forget, we had somebody who came and spoke to us and he said that based on a study, you know, this was a few years ago, but based on a study out of UCLA, that if your young adult gets connected to a group within 72 hours, a Christian group, it was specifically a Christian group within 72 hours of a secular university, their chances of keeping their faith are incredibly um, significantly uh, increased. And so this whole idea of belonging, finding your people, finding your tribe, uh, knowing you know that you have friends that will support you and encourage you is something that just cannot be underscored. Because one of the factors we know in depression is when kids feel isolated, when they feel lonely, when they don't connect with other people in any meaningful way, it's one of the big factors of uh, young adults becoming depressed. So that belongingness, that getting to find a group early on in that college experience is really important for young adults. So that happened for me. Uh, it, you know, the, the group that I quote unquote found or the one that came and sought me out, that might be better said, um, was Young Life. Like that became my my in group at the University of Florida where, you know, there's like 60,000 people. Right. How are you going to find your group? And it was not a sorority. It was. Um, but for some people like right, that's where they find their group. I'm not yeah. sure that has the kinds of social influences that I would be particularly supportive of. But for me, it was Young Life. And that became my my group. I identified with that group. That's who I socialized with. I mean, after my first year, that's who I lived with. Um, that's who I served with. That's who I went to church with. And all of those things, right? The fact that I went to church and that I served and that I had, you know, lived in community and in fellowship. Um, I spent my summers working for Young Life related organizations, um, camps and, and urban ministries and those kinds of things. Uh, it, it does, definitely define not only your experience while you're in school, but it it helps you figure out who you are. And ultimately, for me, what I wanted to do, what I was called to do. That's right. And so if we could give parents who are listening to us one piece of advice as they're taking their young adult to, to college or university, it would be you have to be intentional about this and be very encouraging. I mean, find those resources prior to going to the university or college. You can look them up online. You can see what they offer. For a lot of people, it, it has young life. Sometimes it's crew. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. it's a, you know, a fellowship of whatever your denomination is. Uh, there, are, there are groups it's still at universities and colleges where there are fellowships of, of Baptists and Presbyterians and you know, different believing groups that you can connect with immediately. But I would say, talking to the, 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 the fellow students of my children who both went to college, you know, they see the importance of that. They saw the importance of that. And they noted that the students who they knew who stayed connected to some type of Christian group or a, a church group that would have small group meetings and they would be more intimately connected, those are the ones who preserve their faith 
during college. And it is so formative. And that's another point I just want to stress to parents. It isn't just to go out there, you know, and get their their, you know, academic success, which is uh, obviously important to all of us that they do well. But so much of what happens to them formatively in colleges and universities. And that's why I would pray about this as you're a parent in terms of where they go. Now, some kids are called to go to those big secular schools and be a light and uh, stand firm. But a lot of our kids get lost in those systems because they have not done what you did, Carmen. They didn't connect early on with a group that's going to reinforce their values, that's going to call them into some accountability, that's going to put them in a regular study with the Bible. And then that conviction comes as you pray when you're starting to go off the line a little bit, you have that conviction in the people around you. Without that, it's really hard for our young adults to stand in the cultures that have been developed on college campuses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they literally get lost. That's that's how that works. They, they literally get lost. And Yeah, it's so anti uh, a lot of Christian values and thoughts. I mean, the whole idea of cohabitation, hooking up, you know, using drugs, uh, parties all, all the time. I mean, everything is designed in those schools to pull you away from those things that were, you know, most, a lot of these kids were raised in. And then when you have this freedom for the first time, it's very tempting to try things and to get involved in that. So you got to have a friend, you got to have a group that kind of pulls you back and says, hey, 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 uh, where are you going with all of this? And what are you doing? And come and hang out with us for a while. So that's, that's a, a good thing. So good. All right, Dr. Linda Mental, thank you as always so much. You guys can find her on the Dr. Linda Mental Show here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also find her at drlindamental.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Feels like I missed an opportunity when when Linda and I were talking to, uh, you know, wave the flag for the University of Northwestern St. Paul, UNWSP. That is um, the parent organization of this ministry. So if you enjoy Faith Radio and you enjoy the ministries of Northwest Media, Northwestern Media, then you are a fan, whether you know it or not, of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. It's based in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And if you are looking for an intentionally Christian college, university, um, for your student to consider, we'd love for you to consider UNW. So there you go. UNWSP.edu. UNWSP.edu. Mm-hmm. Ryan Mitchell is serving as our producer today, and he is a proud graduate of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. That is say correct. Something, yeah. say, something, say something nice <laughs> about your experience there. Well, I can guarantee that I would not be standing where I am right now if I did not go to school here, for one. And I mean, I could say other things, too. But, you know, as far as what you and Linda were talking about, about friends and people that you meet that can keep you accountable and lift you up. And I can point to a handful of people that I, you know, still regularly see and uh, that I would call lifelong friends that I met here at UNW. So there's my little pitch. And if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, that sounds like the voice of uh, Northwestern when it comes to um, athletics, well, you'd be right. Because that's what Ryan does when he's not doing this. Right? That is correct. Yeah. I don't know if anyone so was cool. thinking that, but that is uh, that is true. <laughs> your, your mom was thinking and she's listening right now yeah. for sure. So yeah, there you good go. Morning. 
There you go. Um, all right. So whose testimony has affected your view of God? Who do you trust to tell you the truth about Jesus? Like when you think about the Gospels, when you think about the Gospel, whose testimony do you rely on? What do you consider to be the good news? And through whose eyes do you see Jesus? We're going to talk about Jesus through the eyes of women. Rebecca McLaughlin joins us next. Welcoming Rebecca McLaughlin to Mornings with Carmen. She comes with a brand new book, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, How the First Female Disciples Help Us Know the lo- and Love the Lord. Rebecca, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Great to be here. It's lovely to have you. Um, let's do this because you celebrate in your book that I like this quote in the introduction. Far from suppressing women's voices and devaluing their lives, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John connect us to the testimony of the women who met Jesus in the flesh 2,000 years ago. One Mm. of the things that's obvious to me that you're doing is you're elevating um, the Gospel accounts of women interacting with Jesus um, while resisting sort of the contemporary temptation to elevate let's say, the gospel of Mary or other non-canonical gospels attributed to women. Can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that? Because I want people to know what we are talking about and what we're not talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's been a a move in in recent decades, as you mentioned, to look at the so-called gospels, and and they're only kind of called gospels in in a loose sense. Um, Some of these documents that were written actually significantly after New Testament um, Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, that typically don't actually even give us a real account of Jesus' life. They're, they're usually just sort of more um, philosophical dialogues that Jesus is supposed to have had after his resurrection. And there's one in particular that's been come to be known as the Gospel of Mary because it, it features um, one of Jesus' female disciples named Mary, and he actually had several named Mary, so we're not even sure exactly which one the particular author had in mind. They're having these revelations from Jesus and, and, and kind of debating them with the male apostles. And people sometimes look at the document like that and say, you know, look, there's this whole other um, aspect of Jesus or whole other um, account of Jesus that, that has been suppressed by the church in favor of these gospels written by men. And if you actually go back and, and look um, at the so-called gospels of Mary and some of the other, some of those called Gnostic gospels and compare them to the New Testament gospels, as I say, first you'll notice that in terms of just kind of historical closeness to the events and access to eyewitnesses, Jesus' life, the four New Testament Gospels win hands down. But then mm-hmm. also, if, if you look at the content of the four New Testament Gospels, albeit written by men for, for sure, we find that far from suppressing women's voices, they're actually pointing us to female eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. And one of the, the ways in which um, people at, at that time kind of wrote biographies was to name people in the stories as eyewitnesses to say you know hey if you if you don't believe me go and ask Mary Magdalene for example you know she she could be mm-hmm. still living still known to the community of the gospel was being read by or at least known um, by report and the gospel authors frequently do this and they're very transparent about the times when actually this is male disciples and um, completely fail uh, and in particular for example when the women come and report Jesus resurrection 
And Luke tells us that the male disciples thought it was an idle tale and didn't believe the women. It's, very, it's actually very embarrassing um, for the apostles that they, they failed to believe the testimony of women about what Jesus had always said was going to happen. And yet we see this, and, and time and again in the Gospels, we see um, women's stories about Jesus being told. Uh, we see their testimony being validated, even to the extent that some of the early critics of Christianity laughed at Christianity because it was so associated with women, um, both you know, female followers um, representing most of the early church and the testimony of women about such a major event as the resurrection. You know, to hang that all on the testimony of a woman in those days would have been completely bizarre. Yeah, that's what the Lord do. So it's obvious that, I mean, from the reading of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I would include Acts in that because, you know, Luke's Mm. testimony includes um, so many stories of women, not only uh, in the gospel account, but also, you know, in the book of Acts. And I I look at all of that, and it's evident that women flocked to Jesus. Women responded to Jesus. Jesus saw them. He touched them. He healed them. He spoke to them. He answered them. He served them. Um, that, that I think, um, is, I mean, certainly my experience, right? When I, I am drawn to Jesus because, uh, of who he is as, Mm. uh, you know, as co-eternal, uh, God, but also because he's so dear and intimate. Mm. Talk Mm. talk with Mm. us about how women, how you see women. I mean, one of the things that you say is that, you know, 33.7% of adult women worldwide today identify as Christians. That's pretty mm. astonishing and staggering. And so there is something in Jesus for women. Can you talk about Jesus and women? Yeah, so Christianity has always been a majority female uh, religion, actually, like in terms of in terms of followers, which when people today say, talk about Christianity as being very male-centered, they tend to, to miss that reality. It's true from what we can tell from historical records of the church in, in the earliest centuries that there were more women than men um it's true from the, the folks who are criticizing christianity who would say um christianity is a, a religion of only um women slaves and little children you know it's one of the early critics of christianity laughed at it on, on that basis and then around the world today as we look um not just in, in the west but for example in china which uh, is likely to have more christians than america in the last uh, in the next um, sort of five or so years Church in China is also majority. So there's there's something in there about how attractive Jesus is to women, and I think the Gospels actually hold the key to that, because if we look at Jesus's interactions with women in the Gospels, we see women, and and especially they're not exclusively, but especially women who are socially marginalised or um, sick or poor, or in some way need, you know, perhaps not- notoriously sinful, um, you know, known in their communities for being sinful, they come to Jesus and they throw themselves down at his feet. And, and actually, that's the only way that anyone can truly come to Jesus. And, and we see time and again in the Gospels, um, a sort of succession of self-righteous men, often the Pharisees, then there are some redeeming Pharisees in the mix, but often they're Pharisees who are thinking they don't need Jesus. Um, and so they actually, they can't see who he is and, and they reject him. Whereas the, the people who know that they desperately need Jesus come to him um, you know, on their knees. And, and when we do that, Jesus lifts us up. It's the sort of um, topsy-turvy shape of his kingdom that he's always explaining to his, his disciples is actually who are at the top in his kingdom. Um, and, and I think we see in his treatment of women how he, he lifts women up. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the, the characters that are included in Rebecca McLaughlin's book, 
Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. And yes, I do have some copies to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I want to wake up, I want to restart, put the drum beat back in my heart. I need to be revived, bring me back to life. Continuing our conversation with Rebecca McLaughlin, she's the author of Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. You can connect with her online at RebeccaMcLaughlin.org. Um, You can also connect with her on Twitter and Instagram. And yes, if you're interested in entering the drawing we have for the copies of the book to give away today, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Rebecca, let's talk about uh, the women in the book. Um, You focus on the testimonies of Mary, um, uh, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth in the first chapter on prophecy Mary and Martha of Bethany uh, on the chapter on discipleship. I mean, there's just so many in here. Is there is there one story you want to tell today? Gosh, it's always it's always so hard to pick. Um, <laughs> but the one that actually speaks to me, um, well, I, I can't say most deeply, <laughs> but a couple of thoughts. Um, the one that potentially you know, Jesus associated with Martha of Bethany, who you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So this is in, in John chapter eleven, and the the headline news of that chapter, if it was a newspaper write-up, be Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But in fact, the conversation that Jesus has with um, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, and the, the sort of progression of the story is, is one of the most moving and extraordinary um, stories in the whole Bible and actually gives us a, an incredible kind of theology of suffering just in that, that one chapter. Because at the beginning of the chapter, Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus um, because their, their brother Lazarus is very sick. And the message says, Lord, the one you love is sick. And you, you might expect that Jesus would come at once. And in fact, John says very clearly that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother, uh, but he doesn't come. In fact, he deliberately waits until Lazarus is dead. And then eventually he comes and Lazarus is already buried um, several days in the tomb. And Martha comes out to meet him, says, Lord, Lord if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. There's extraordinary faith in this woman. You know, her, her brother's dead. Jesus hadn't come. And still she thinks that Jesus can heal him. And, and Jesus responds, uh, your brother will rise again. So Mary thinks he's, he's talking about the, the belief that um, many Jews of her day had that the final day, the final judgment day, that God would raise his faith. So she says, Lord, I, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus looks into this grieving woman's eyes and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's one of Jesus' famous um, I am statements in John's gospel where he, he takes the name of the covenant, sort of precious name of God from the Old Testament and applies it to himself. 
And whereas almost all the other I am statements, you know, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, I am the um, true vine, are spoken to groups. This one is spoken to one individual weeping woman. I am the resurrection and the life. And he's showing her that she thinks what she most needs is her brother brought back from dead. But in fact, what she most needs is him. Mm. To know Jesus is to live and to not know Jesus is to die. And she responds, yes, Lord, I know that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And then Martha, her sister, Mary, her sister, comes out, says the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus goes on to weep with these women and then to call Lazarus out of the tomb. And so we see this extraordinary intimacy Jesus has with, with these um, two female disciples in particular, who John is very clear he loved. And we see his compassion as he grieves with them, even though he knows that he's going to raise Lazarus. We see his power as he speaks um, you know, the words of life to Lazarus. Lazarus come out and Lazarus, you know, who's dead several days and his body is rotting, gets up and walks out of the tomb. So we see his incredible power. But most preciously, we see him saying he is the resurrection of life. And that to me, at times in my life when I feel like the kind of floor is falling away, that's the verse that I cling on to most. Um, is Jesus truly the resurrection of the life? Because if he is, and if I can still look into his eyes, nothing else matters. Hmm. Oh, that's so, it's so powerful. And you take us into that story in such a personal and profound way. Um, yeah, what, what grabs the headlines of the world is that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But the experience of Mary and Martha with Jesus is so transformational and profound and applicable to each and every one of us. I mean, the, in, in this lies our hope. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's so delightful. We're talking with Rebecca McLaughlin about her book, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, How the First Female Disciples Help Us Know and Love the Lord. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Um, maybe talk with us about um, the Syrophoenician woman. Like, she, she has real faith. Um, but I love uh, I love the way you discuss her. Could you could you tell us a little bit about her? This is in the chapter on nourishment. Yeah, so th- this is a fascinating conversation Jesus has, and and one of the things that I, I noticed as I read through the Gospels is that really the only way to come to Jesus is, is flat on our faces. <laughs> when we come humbly, when we come on our knees, when we come with our need and with no sense of um, you know, our our own um, entitlement, I guess. Uh, Jesus receives us with with open arms. And when we come, uh, if we come in pride, um, thinking that we maybe know better than Jesus, we can't even see who he is. That's the sort of pattern that we see in the Gospels. And so there's this, this fascinating conversation Jesus has right after he's had a confrontation with the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's told them they have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to, to God's law. Um, and he's, in fact, um, broken down one of the big dividing lines between Jews and Gentiles of that day um, in terms of the food laws. But he said, what, what makes you unclean isn't what you put in your mouth, you know, certain foods that are considered unclean. It's actually what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. And after this confrontation, he, he um, goes off to the region of Tyre and Sidon, um, sort of north of the predominant Jewish region. And this is a region known for um, idolatry and, and um, you know, all the bad things. Like this is, this is, from a Jewish perspective, not a cool place to be um, a bunch of pagans. And a woman comes to Jesus whose daughter has a demon. 
and she is, is crying out to Jesus for help. And at first, Jesus doesn't respond. And his disciples are getting super annoyed with her. And they said, Lord, can you just like tell her to go away? She's crying out after us. We're you know, sick of this. And Jesus first says, you know, I came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Um, and we see this pattern in the Gospels. You see Jesus often focusing on the Jews. But actually, prior to this point um, in the Gospels, we've seen him validating the faith of a centurion, a Roman centurion who was not Jewish at all, and saying that actually someone like him who comes to Jesus humbly with their need is getting into the kingdom of God when many of, um, of the Jews are actually not because they're not recognizing Jesus. So we, we know that Jesus is already welcoming Gentiles. But he says, I, I've come only to the last sheep of the house of Israel. She, undeterred, comes and, and kneels in front of him and says, Lord, help me. And I, I love that prayer. It's one that I, I often pray myself, actually. It's just so simple. It's like, Lord, help me. That's all I have right now. Lord, help me. And Jesus says, uh, it's not right to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. It's completely, it's a totally shocking comment from, from our perspective as, as readers mm-hmm. today. We're like, what on earth is going on? Because Jesus, that's never how Jesus responds um, to people who come to him, their need, especially to women. Jesus is actually extraordinarily honoring women. Um, throughout the gospel so we're thinking probably what, what on earth is going on from the perspective of Jesus's Jewish disciples they would have said you know yeah that's right uh, they probably you know nodded along because from a Jewish perspective um, Gentiles were often referred to as, as dogs sort of seen as unclean seen as you know outside of, of God's God's purposes and she responds yes Lord even dogs get to eat the scraps before from the table Jesus is, is very impressed with this with this response because instead of Instead of standing on her own dignity and saying, how dare you call me a dog? Um, you know, I, I came to you humbly, but now I'm not, you know, uh, I, this is too much. She said, she goes with his metaphor and she says, yeah, but, you know, if I, if I could be a dog, that's great because I'll get some, some scraps. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus says, woman, your, your faith is great and, and her daughter is healed. And we often see in Jesus's dialogues in the Gospels, we often see this sort of push and pull. So, for example, famously in John's Gospel, when um, a Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and says, you know, we know that you, you've been sent from God, um, but we kind of don't know what to make of you. Um, and this is like a, a very senior leader teacher among the Jews. And Jesus famously said to him, you need to be born again. You know, you haven't, you're supposedly a teacher of Israel. You, you, you haven't even been born yet. It's, it's actually very insulting when you think about it. Um, so Jesus often has this kind of push and pull with his, his dialogue partner and how they receive it. Um, dictates how things uh, kind of go forward from, from there. And this Samaritan, um, sorry, the, the Syrophoenician woman um, absolutely goes with it and recognizes, yeah, she has no right to come to Jesus. And it's specifically those people who Jesus welcomes. So we see this this beautiful testimony of humble faith for us to emulate and, and that Jesus validates um, in this foreign woman from a place that was known for its paganness. I just love it. I love how you bring these stories to light and to life. So thank you so much. Um, Rebecca McLaughlin is the author of Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. You can connect directly with her and materials related to the book and her ministry at RebeccaMcLaughlin.org. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we have to give away today, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.